the teachers are not all right. News accounts and social media pages attest to the fatigue, both mental and physical, that America's teachers are experiencing this fall as they continue to adjust to the new normal after the past year of pandemic classrooms. It seems our teachers could use some of the social-emotional learning strategies that they're sharing with students trying to cope. Hayam Elsa Hardy knows a lot about that. She used her Fund for Teachers grant to research in Malaysia how collectivist communities apply SEL skills in homes and schools. Then she applied her findings at Chicago's Mather High School, where one-third of the students were refugees, immigrants, and or English language learners. Now she's sharing her expertise with Seattle Public Schools as its consulting SEL teacher for the entire district. Welcome to Fund for Teachers, the podcast. I'm Carrie Caton, and the goal of each episode is to elevate teachers as the inspiring architects of their careers, classrooms, and school communities. Today, we're learning from Haim Elsahardi, a Fund for Teachers fellow who also serves on our Educator Advisory Council. Haim holds an undergraduate degree in criminal justice from the University of Indiana, a master's degree in resource development from Northeastern Illinois University, a second master's degree in education from Quincy University, and a certificate in English as a second language. With her 2017 Fund for Teachers grant, she and a colleague investigated programs in Malaysia supporting Rohingya refugees who fled genocide in Myanmar. With new knowledge and insights, Haim and her teammate expanded the existing advisory curriculum by creating a series of meaningful units that meet the specific social and emotional needs of refugee and immigrant students. The following year, buoyed by her fellowship experience, she applied for and was awarded a Fulbright Teachers for Global Classrooms grant to research emotional social learning in Peru. After being named Chicago Public Schools' first social-emotional learning teacher of the year, she moved to Seattle to help direct a district-wide SEL focus on adult education, supporting educators to develop knowledge, confidence, and agency in teaching students SEL skills. Our conversation began talking about her fellowship and how it changed her life both personally and professionally. Then we migrated to the topic of how teachers can use social-emotional learning for themselves. I start all of these conversations with our fellows with the same question, and that is, why did you become a teacher? We all have that story, right? Mine is that I was in grad school for resource development, like adult learning, adult learning theory. Uh, It took me a few months to find a job. And the job I found on Craigslist, and it was with a nonprofit doing after-school programming and tutoring. And one day I was at Sullivan High School, uh, and I just had this moment. I was tutoring a student whose name I still remember, and I, she was on my left, and I look up, I go, why am I not a teacher? Five minutes later, I was on a computer in the classroom looking for fast track to getting certified. I'm going to I'm going to be a special ed teacher. And I got into the program and the deal was if you found a job by the end of the summer, which when I started it, you would get a provisional certificate. uh, And then you could finish the program if you wanted to get another master's, which I did, because why not? And I actually got a job at another high school that I used to tutor at and Mather. And that was actually favorite school that I tutored at. And I, it was the school that kind of inspired me to be a teacher. And I always call it my career fairy tale. I got a job at the school that I love the most. And I was there for almost 10 years before I came here. 
so it, it, it did not occur to you until you had that moment with the student to become a teacher? So no, but if my sister listens to this, she would be very angry if I did not say that she told me on and off for I don't know how long. She used to say, why don't you just become a teacher? I'm like, no, I've never thought about that. Like, why would you say that? She said it multiple times. And so I'd never thought about it. And I still really didn't think about it until that moment. And she would always be like, I told you. She still kind of is. Well, that's the role of a sister, especially if she's <laughs> a big sister. She is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I didn't want to at all color your answer, but the majority of the people with whom I speak say either I never wanted to become a teacher or it was never my plan or I will never become a teacher. So it's, it, I, I love asking that because our fellows are, are just so um, talented and passionate. And I, I think it's an interesting way of looking at how life just kind of called to it or things just happen. Yes. And, was it, it was my calling absolutely so how far into your career were you before you applied for a fund for teachers fellowship i had applied for it in 2016 and we didn't get it and i cried for about a minute and i remember the email said like if you want to have feedback let us know i mean i replied on the spot i want feedback they're like, oh, well, well, we'll give it to you in a few months. Like they didn't mean like at that moment, but I was like, bring it. Cause I was going to do it next year. You applied again. Applied again. And uh, every year that I was teaching my work in SEL just increased. So my interest was really shifting to social emotional learning, especially how I could embed it more intentionally in advisory and how to infuse it in my math classes. So in a Chalkbeat article that I found, you defined social-emotional learning as the idea of addressing the skills that really add to a fulfilling, healthy, joyful life in school and beyond. And when I went back through your proposal, you were saying that you're, mainly your immigrant refugee students who came from extraordinary challenges and relocated in Chicago might have been making really good grades, but you said that is not enough to thrive in a new country. And so was there kind of this nexus when you saw them making good grades and, and also saw them still struggling that you kind of started shifting into this SEL sphere? That's such a good question. And I have an answer. Yes. My, the advisory team, I shouldn't say my team, our team and many, many teachers would give feedback. And I experienced it as well, leading an advisory that our students, our immigrant and refugee students, are students who were learning English as a second language, they were not engaged in advisory. We thought, well, what can we do? So many topics are not relevant. Describe advisory for, for those who might oh, not okay. know what that is. Well, traditionally advisory, a lot of people call it homeroom, uh, but by definition, advisory is a class period either every day, once a week, all schools do it differently. So you had these students who were bright and making good grades, but they were kind of um, disappearing in the conversation in the advisory. And social. I mean, bright spirits, like all kids can have bright spirits, but a lot of our students coming from other countries are coming from these really collectivist communities. And so I think it was really natural for them to be really close with their classmates, especially if they were in the same community um, outside of school, if they shared an identity in that way. 
but then they come in advisory because your advisories are all different and you might have a friend in there. You might not. It might be with all Americans. I think it was an environment where so many students felt like they didn't belong. And when you feel that you're not feeling welcome, you're feeling like, like, how can you relate? You're not talking about something that's relevant to you, especially if something is taboo, like talking about dating and relating that to an SEL skill. I mean, in many cultures, I mean, there is no dating and that is not a respectful environment. So you wrote that you you wanted to go to the communities and environments in which these students grew up. You said 75% of them were from Islamic countries such as Pakistan, Mm -hmm. Iraq, Yemen, Malaysia. And you wanted to see what their life was like so you could create something that was relevant that would include them. And to learn how were students and educators and families working together? What were those social and emotional connections like? How were families a part of, if at all, their child's educational journey? We didn't have a great sense of that. So... We began to meet with a group of students from Penang, Malaysia, to get the scoop. What was school like? A couple of the students, a brother and sister, they actually connected us with their school in Penang in northern Malaysia. And Penang was our first stop. And we went to their school. And the principal talked about the two kids. We're like, they're the same now about how the brother doesn't study and how his sister is way more studious. And actually my friend, Brian, who I applied with this time, who was on the advisory team as well, he's the one that had those two in his class. So we FaceTimed him. So in Malaysia, we were on FaceTime with one of our students, some of his old classmates and his principal. It was great. So you came back and you were initially, I think you said a math teacher, but you also had a special education bent. But then it seems as though you started going full bore SEL, that you started, you you got your certification. Can you kind of talk about that pivot and and where that led you? Because things seemed to take a different tack when you returned. It did. I got excited about SEL. Just coming back from Malaysia, and we also went to Singapore because we actually saw um, some lessons live. And oh my gosh, that was so fun. And they have a, a national curriculum, which I have never heard of, which was pretty cool. A national SEL curriculum? Yeah. So yeah, SEL kind of just became a bit more of my focus, both personally and professionally. I always say that SEL changed me personally and professionally, and it put the fun back in teaching. Why? It becomes so uptight, and I wasn't focusing on my relationships. I think everything in education, number one thing is about relationships with ourselves, with our students, with each other, as colleagues, uh, with our administration, with families with our community partners, it's all about relationships. And I have lost sight of that. I was just really focused on academics and I think that's garbage. And so I don't know, it was like, I was hungry, Carrie. I just wanted to do more. Like, and for teachers was so fun. It made my life better. I wish people could see you because 
twice so far you've, you've said it was so fun and your face just it is so animated and your, your smile is, gets even more broad and you, the energy that you exude, it's mm-hmm. like, it's, it's palpable. You can see this life when you talk about it. It's really neat. Mm-hmm. That makes me happy. So whoever yeah. listens, yes, I, I, I will say it is fun. And I mean that genuinely and you're learning and it's making sense and it's relevant and all that is fun too. And it's just fun. You're um, no matter what you design your proposal around, you are ultimately doing something you probably would otherwise never be able to do. So it's kind of a dream come true. Do you have any tips for teachers who are applying? We're in the middle of our application season now. You didn't get it the first year and then you did the next year. So what changed for you? I think I was just more emotionally connected to SEL than I was um, at that point in my career to special education. And I think that I went with special education because that is what my certificate is. And that's what I did. And I followed my heart this time and really where, what direction it was turning to a different kind of light. What's it, whatever is in your heart, because you might be surprised. You might think your idea is way out of left field. Go for it. It's real. It's real. So that dream then extended because you applied for another grant. And, and often we talk about fun for teachers as a gateway grant <laughs> because teachers who, who apply and they get it and they have this ex- rich, rich experience and they realize, well, if I did this, I might could do another grant. And usually the one that follows is a Fulbright. Which, yes. Which is what I, you I, did. Yeah. So tell us about that. So <laughs> I found out about the Fulbright Teachers for Global Classrooms program through the same teacher that uh, taught me about Fun for Teachers. So I guess FFT is a gateway. And I applied for that the next year, 2018. That application was also centered around SEL. When you came back from your fellowship, you said that your knowledge of the refugee crisis has, had grown and that you now saw how you fit into the solution. And you got your English as a Second Language endorsement. You got your ESL certificate and found a way for you to fit into that solution in a more profound way in Seattle. Now you're the consulting SEL teacher for Seattle Public Schools. Yes, so I'm working on um, developing a secondary SEL framework, middle and high school, and I am working on, I should say, co-collaborating on adult wellness supports. Uh, I'm working directly with a lot of schools, forming these partnerships to essentially coach in designing school-specific SEL implementation. As you are focused solely on SEL in Seattle and you're, you're working with teachers to then teach them or advise them how to address SEL issues with their students. Are you seeing the teachers needing social emotional learning assistance as well? Yeah, adults need it. I mean, there's this whole blossoming field of adult SEL. We have to learn it and model it for our students to learn it. But I think it's also important to recognize that we should be learning it for our own well-being and our own success, personally and professionally, for our own relationships, and for our own mental, emotional, physical, social 
spiritual health. I totally agree. And we've been sharing articles um, because they're ubiquitous at this point about teachers saying, you know, things are not all right. Um, we, we need mm-hmm. help and, and asking for help. How would you, from your experience and your knowledge and insight, where's the first place to start or where would you direct these teachers who are saying this who are raising the white flag and saying, hello, we're still here. Barely. The answer might be surprising. I would say to take your days off. You have, we have days off, take your days. They're your days. I learned that from a friend, Pam, and it didn't make sense to me because as educators, we are martyrs and that is not helpful to anybody. It is, if anything, it's toxic. And that is social emotional learning. That is recognizing that you are human. That is recognizing that you, it is for your own benefit to advocate for yourself, not just because we can't pour from an empty cup, not just because if we aren't, well, we can't help our students. Well, we're human first. I always used to tell my kids that if they, if I was upset or if they hurt my feelings, because they do hurt your feelings, I would tell them, you know, like I am a person first. I know you think I'm just a teacher and I was born just like this, but you know, I have friends, I have a family, I have a dog. Like I do things other than teach. And I also think if we aren't taking time, not that taking a day off can be can heal you, but it is a part of self-care. Mm-hmm. And if we aren't doing it for ourselves, our students are going to see we're full of shit. <laughs> they are. We can't teach them. We can model it. Absolutely. We can model it. But if it's not real, they know. So I would say start there, especially at this time in the world. I don't think it's ever been more important. So on top of everything that you're doing now, you also stepped up to be part of our educator advisory council. Yeah. Why did you say yes to doing that? Uh, I really like you guys. I really like fun for teachers. You guys you set me on this path to changing my life. And I still want to be involved in a program and be a part of something that was so magical for me. I really believe in helping educators. I am very protective of us and I am very excited and driven by motivating others. Just as I try to start every conversation with why did you become a teacher? I also like to end the conversations asking if there's anything that I left out because we touched on the the high points for you of the Fun for Teachers grant, of the Peru Fulbright, of the Teacher of the Year, now doing SEL in Seattle. Anything that I haven't asked you about that you'd like to throw in? Can I talk about resilience? Talk about resilience. So it's one of the buzzwords, you know, grit, SEL, rigor, um, trauma-informed practices, and Oh my goodness, you know, all of these words everywhere. And I have this really strong, I've always, I always feel a little rebellious. I have big feelings, big emotions. And um, I remember one day in Seattle, I had a conversation like, I hate that word. And I fought back on it. And I've written, I wrote an email to a group I was working with about why I hate it. And it's not that I hate it. I just, 
I don't think it's used well, or I think that we're, well, maybe it just needs to be redefined, or maybe we shouldn't be using it in the way that we have been. And I, I tell this story. I've told it to a number of teacher friends now. I presented to a group of racial equity team members uh, when I did a present, a breakout group, and I brought up resilience and I have this little story to explain. It's not even a story. This is just how I think of resilience. So I think of resilience in a basketball because resilience means in essence to bounce back. And I think of seventh grade, Eastside Middle School, my first year of middle school and PE class. Oh, what are we doing today? Playing basketball. You go pick the basketball from the rack. Not all of them are the same. Some of them have been beat up. You got to put air in them. So you shoot some hoops, you do some layup. And the next day, those same basketballs are out of air again because they keep getting bounced. They keep getting abuse, abuse after abuse, hit after hit. And so we're telling these basketballs for you to be worthy and be useful, you have to bounce back. We're not basketballs. Basketballs bounce back. Humans bounce back too. But where are we bouncing back to? Are we we always the same? I think resilience is more. We, We aren't the basketball. We can bounce back higher. We can bounce back better, stronger, wiser, kinder more compassionate and that's a level that I to me that's that's what resilience should be so if you were to replace the word with what we need to this call for what teachers need if it's not resilience then what then what is it the word that comes to mind is humanity recognizing your humanity because we are humans first We look forward to using this podcast to elevate more teachers as the inspiring architects of their careers, classrooms, and school communities. But you can learn from 9,000 Fund for Teachers fellows now by visiting fundforteachers.org slash blog, or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you want to reach an engaged audience of educators, share your event or product in this podcast by becoming a sponsor connect with listeners as they tune in to be inspired by the groundbreaking work our fellows are accomplishing individually and in the classroom. Contact info at funforteachers.org for more information. And finally, thank you Fun for Teachers fellow and Educator Advisory Council member, Hayim Elsahardi, for talking to us about social emotional learning for both students and teachers. Don't forget that our 2022 grant application is now available at funforteachers.org. Our next webinar is Wednesday, November the 17th at 6 p.m. Central. You can register for that on our website as well. I'm Carrie Caton. Thank you for joining us today at Fun for Teachers, the podcast. Until next time, keep learning.